and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oaklawn Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, this is Dave. I'm the coordinator of adult services at the Cranston Public Library, and my pronouns are he, him. Hi, this is Elena. I'm the youth services librarian at the Central Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Robin. I am the branch librarian at the William Hall Library, and my pronouns are she, her. And we've brought all of our creative team together for this episode. Wait, did we decide what we were going to call this book club? I thought of the rerun, reread book group. Rerun, reread. Ooh, that's nice. That's nice. I like that. Because then we could talk about TV shows, movies, that type of thing. But I just <laughs> as, threw that, I just the, threw that as out. As the series progresses. Sort of, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. We're workshopping the name. Uh, a little bit later in the show, we'll talk about a book that we reread from our childhood, adolescence, um, kind of revisiting it and see what was the same, what was different, did we still enjoy it, all that jazz. But before we get into that, let's start off as we always do with what have you currently been reading? So, uh, something I just read was The Bach Ness Monster. That's by Natalie Reese and Sarah Goter. Um, it is a kid's graphic novel with these three friends. One of them is about to be moving away and wants to find the Bach Ness Monster, which is like a sea monster that has the head of a chicken that um, remembers from their childhood. And it is incredibly ridiculous. Um, beautiful colors, beautiful illustrations. And there was a point where they're meeting all of these, like the authors have done this great like take on all the cryptids. So like Bach Ness Monsters play on Loch Ness Monster. They meet uh, Big Tar, which is a <laughs> centaur Bigfoot wow. and things like wow. that. And there's wow. just all this stuff. And one of their friends who goes with them is like, I'm a cryptozoologist and I'm coming with you to look for the Bach Ness Monster. And then they stumble upon all the cryptids. And there's this point where one of the friends says, you know, Big Tar doesn't speak English. It's not going to just be your friend. <laughs> and then there's these two panels of this kid with this angry face on and like shows their shirt that says Big Tar is real. And then there's the next <laughs> panel. It's Untuck and is going to be my friend. Like has been wearing this shirt <laughs> wow. the entire time. The expressions. And that was the moment where I like went from really enjoying this book to falling in love with this book. Um, so definitely can suggest it was a ball. I love when kids manifest things like that. Yeah, right. It's so pure. <laughs> and it was magic. really about the friends. It was about their friendship, and it was about like about the one of their friends is going away. to be moving away and having this one last like adventure. But the thing that's really exciting is that number one on the spine that tells me it's the first of the Cryptid Club series, which I'm really looking forward to future editions because nice. and to see how they do that because it was really really good time. They had one in there was the Rhode Island Devil. <laughs> Wow. Oh, oh, the wow. Jersey, Jersey Devil. Devil yeah. Mm. And it was, that was another one. And it was little. Exciting. What was just oh, like this? Oh, because it's small. Little, oh. little, little devil. Um, and so it was just stuff like that. So ridiculous fun, a lot of heart. I can definitely suggest anybody read that. Love that. It does sound like fun. And I am listening to a book that's very opposite of that. <laughs> that it's uh, a book called Deliver Me from Nowhere. It's about the making of Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska, which is a record album that came out in 1982. And it was very unique for its time because it was just Bruce Springsteen. He didn't perform with the E Street Band on this one, and he recorded it all himself in a home studio. So it's just a lot of people had a lot of feelings about it back in the day. And I did not. I did not know anything about it, but I heard the author, Warren Zanes, interviewed on my favorite podcast, WTF, with Mark Marin. 
And then, lo and behold, he came to Rhode Island on Friday night, and he was at Pop, which is a vintage spot uh, in Providence, and there's a more to their name, the title of the store. But he was there and he had three musicians who performed songs from the album. So that was a pretty unique author experience because I go to a lot of author events, as you all know. But to see, have the author read from his book and to have some of the music performed. And then I got the audio book. So it's been a very immersive experience into this album that I knew nothing about. Does the audio book have like some of the music in it or excerpts or anything like as of so far no oh because that would be a really cool way to mm. like use the audiobook format to really enhance yeah. yeah yes well for a while now just because it's a long book i've been reading the night circus that one's basically about two magicians who are um sort of working in this circus and they've both trapped it in what I like to call a snow globe. They've trapped it in time. Everyone is sort of frozen, immortal. They're stuck. And it's just a competition to prove who's the better wizard. But we don't actually know, like, what that means, what that scope is. It's a very stunning novel, very wordy, definitely a lot of flower language. Mm -hmm. And the aesthetic is all, like, black and white with hints of red. It's so there. I have a matching tarot deck for it. I actually got the tarot deck before the book. So it's very interesting because one of the characters is a fortune teller and she pulls cards. So like you get to read from the deck and follow along. Um, but the reason why I haven't finished that, because I've been reading it for like a month and a half now, um, because I started watching The Bear. Have y'all watched The Bear? Because we're in season no. two. Okay, this is difficult to talk about with the SAG strike and all that, but it slaps. It is so good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't watch a lot of TV. TV kind of it just, like, emotionally drains me, but it's so good. Mm. It's about a restaurant. He takes over his bro older brother's restaurant, and it's just, like, that daily culinary life, and it really focuses on, like, the arts in culinary arts, and I think that's why I love it so, 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 so much. It's just gorgeous aesthetically-wise. The actors are phenomenal. The characters, they have this really beautiful arc and they take their time like telling their stories and where they come from. And yeah, I love it. I think I'm going to yeah. rewatch it because awesome. I'm kind of living for it. And to allay your worries, um, the, the writers guilds and the actors guilds are not calling for a boycott on already produced content. Mm -hmm. um, so the it's future. totally cool to be like, I loved this thing that's already out. So you're totally in the clear. Okay. You know, you can Thank still goodness. be labor strong. How about you, Taylor? Reading anything? Um, yeah, so I just finished Nimona, the graphic novel, um, because I wanted to read the graphic novel before watching the movie because I, I really didn't know anything about it. I've, I've kind of like wanted to check out, um, ND Stevenson. ND Stevenson, yeah. Um, you know, because I've heard great things, heard great things about Lumberjanes, heard great oh, things about Nimona, but just never got to it. And mm. now I was like, the movie's out and it's a movie, it's not a show. So like, um... Because network Netflix doesn't let you share passwords anymore, which means I no longer have access to Netflix unless I'm at my parents' house. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I could get Netflix. It's fine. Um, when the new season of Big Mouth comes out, I might because I don't think I could bring my mother through that. But I really want to see it. <laughs> but uh, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But right now, Netflix things have been things I've been watching with my mom. Um, but I was like, oh, it's a movie. So it'll just be like, you know, one hangout. We can watch the movie. It won't yeah. be like us getting bogged down in a show. But I wanted to read the graphic novel first. Yeah. So I did. And I enjoyed it. Um, it kind of like 
I almost like wish that I like I like where it ended, but then I was like, well, mm-hmm. what happened? But I think it was great, kind of like where it ended. So, have you seen the film? No, not yet. Okay, I'm gonna oh hang gosh. out with my mom tonight. And, All right, and so that propose that we watch it. So the thing about Nimona, the graphic novel mm-hmm. that I love is that it starts out as like you know buddy sidekick comedy. Yeah, yeah. Like that's where it started as a web comic, and then as it was put together into a graphic novel, it just goes from like buddy sidekick slapstick you know magic and technology at the same time it's a Mm. really interesting world to like where it ends up ideas of identity ideas of like the trauma that one has gone through and finding people who accept you as you've ended up without knowing the full story i think that's a that's a big part of it is like people that will accept you as you are without having to know every terrible thing that's happened to you. And I feel like that's what Nimona finds with Blackheart. And mm-hmm. um, it really, like, by the end of that book, yeah, it's like, oh, I just I actually just reread it, too. <laughs> and um, to pivot to the movie, which was an absolute delight, it did the same things. There's a lot of differences, obviously, um, changing it from one format to the other. But it really, at its heart, is that, like, Nimona finding someone who's kind of, like, also as broken, and they can kind of, like figure it out together um i think the i think the graphic novel has a bit of a stronger ending if i was to be um you know held my feet to the fire Mm. but you know the the movie was so so good and so funny so well acted um yeah i really really liked it yeah so i'm looking forward to checking it out now that i've read the graphic novel it was one of those things is like it's based on one graphic novel so i could just read that graphic novel be done yeah a lot of things when things come up out that they're based on books or book series yeah, right? and stuff. I'm just like, it's the wheel of I'm time. So yeah, it's 27 I'm books so, yeah. I'm so bogged down in my to read list already. Yeah. And when I was doing committee stuff, it was like, I'm so bogged down in that, um, that, um, that it's like, yeah, I don't have time to read the thing before it comes out. So I'm just going to go in and mm-hmm. enjoy the thing. Well, if you really want to see compelling drama, you need to watch the new Indiana Jones movie. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, of course, that movie also came out quite a few years ago, so it's always been a favorite of mine, which I shared with my sons, and I was very excited to go see it. We actually went on a Sunday morning so we could be in there on the first weekend, and it was just nonstop fun. Lots of laughs, funny, and, of course, action-adventure. So definitely want to see something on the big screen. That's one that I would recommend awesome. if you want something fun adventure. Did they CGI de-age Harrison Ford? I heard yeah. something about de-aging, and I was like, the whole movie is de-aged no, Harrison no, Ford? No, no, no. That sounds that awful. Movies. No, they did, a, <laughs> they did a flashback. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. That's fine. To what happened and how he met someone and okay. things like that so because it's yeah would that would me it's, it's right. very uncanny Valley. that would be off-putting yeah. to me as well <laughs> so i like accept made... harrison ford for the way he is now right it's not like they made um the adventures of young indiana jones <laughs> oh and it was like harrison gosh. ford de-aged to being like a 12 year old that would have been <laughs> oh they my gosh it now. <laughs> they did make a young <laughs> adventures of young indiana yes, jones but it was a different actor yeah. so thankfully i loved that show yes that show ruled <laughs> was good i had forgotten about yeah. that i uh, think there's a point where they have to be like we just okay. have to recast right has anyone else seen anything on the big screen a barbie movie hi barbie <gasps> you saw i barbie? haven't seen it yet. hi barbie yes i am living for it 
boys are embarrassing. No offense, Dave. <laughs> boys are so embarrassing. That's basically like the summary of the movie. Mm. Boys are Kens. Kenergy is real. <laughs> At one point, Ken, one of the Kens, wears a shirt that says, I am Kenuff, and I lost it. <laughs> I was like, they need to produce that because that shirt is so embarrassing and everyone needs to wear I it. I would totally buy and no, wear that it, shirt. <laughs> it's so campy and so satirical, and I think there are some problems with it, and the mm. problems that people are bringing up are valid, or at least my problems with it. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I think it's such a great movie. And I saw it at the drive-in, and everyone was wearing pink. Pink hats, scarves, chairs, cool. oh my hats. Gosh. Everyone was wearing pink. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. No, yeah. it was really... My coworker Doreen, her son went to see it on Friday and he came away. He said to her, it was actually somewhat of a political statement. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's a feminist movie. It's a feminist. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to see it. I want to see it as a judge for myself. It's all about like womanhood and how you define yourself as a woman and the role we play in society. And it talks a lot about patriarchy and it has like two or three moments where like it gets very like. I'm doing a speech right now and everyone in the audience has to listen to me mm. before like all those moments. There's so much humor and Greta like takes her time with the plot and like yeah. really puts in very specific moments that for some people is going to go right over them. But like at least I feel like for a woman, like you're going to catch those moments and be like, wow, that was really grounding. Mm. And like you can tell this was a female directed movie. Um, yeah. Gre- but Greta so Gerwig funny. is good. Yeah. Yeah. She's brilliant. And the songs are so funny. Like in the movie, they, oh my gosh, they go directly with what's happening. It's hilarious. <laughs> Excellent. So good. Yeah. Ken's are so embarrassing. Yeah. The next day after I saw it, my dad did something dumb. I don't know. I think he like left the drawer like half open in his bathroom or something because we we're going to go up to Maine. And, um... I was like, oh, my God, you're such a kin. Embarrassing, Daddy. I was like, Daddy, stop. Daddy, stop. He was like, what does that mean? I was like, watch the movie. And you're not going to even like it, which makes you a kin. So, um, no, I'm just, it's, yeah, I'm taking advantage oh of it. But it's I funny. I love hearing I like Elena's it. take on things. It's yeah. very, very enlightening. But Sorry. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. Don't I, apologize. Uh, I like it. That's mm-hmm. a, That was sincere. You know that. So um, I just went to a con this past weekend, and I did see a lot of Barbie cosplayers, even though the movie came out the Friday of the con. So I don't know if people were scouring, you know, the trailer and images and everything or Mm -hmm. just going for whatever was pink. But I saw multiple, so more than one cosplay of this, like, pink and white gingham dress. And I turned to David and I said, if that's in the movie... No one can stop me from cosplaying that because, like, that's my aesthetic, right? Like, she right. just went down the escalator, mm-hmm. and that's my aesthetic right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like... No, it's so funny. <laughs> like, I went to go see with two friends from high school that I grew up with, and it would be anything. Like, you know, we would be trying to fix the air conditioner. I'd be like, oh, my gosh, innovative Barbie. Because, like, Barbie can do anything. <laughs> Barbie's a girl boss. So, like, literally, you were any type of Barbie. And, like, mm. that's the whole point of it, too. Okay. Yeah. Barbie's a girl boss, but, like, in the good way. Not oh, the, yeah. like, girl boss mm. gatekeep gaslight way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I even talked about in the children's room today and talking about, like, the misogyny that's involved in certain conversations with, like, pick me girls and stuff like that. And mm. talked about colors and just lots of different things. But it's a good movie. <laughs> Definitely one to, like, afterwards sit down and actually have a conversation. Yeah. Really, really good. I think everyone should see it. Nice. Yeah. All right. I'm excited now. Mm-hmm. Me too. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Looking for a movie to watch? Canopy has over 30,000 feature films and documentaries for you to stream for free. 
Log in using your Cranston Library card and receive eight free play credits each month. That's eight movies every month that you can watch for free. You can watch the 2016 Academy Award winning film Moonlight, Taika Waititi's horror comedy, What We Do in the Shadows, and many more films today with Canopy. Go to cranstonlibrary.org to find the link to sign into Canopy today. If you're participating in the 2023 Adult Summer Reading Beanstack Challenge, the secret code for listening to the podcast is subscribe. Again, the secret code is subscribe. Learn more and join the fun at cranstonlibrary.beanstack.com. And remember to drink your Ovaltine. All right. So yeah, that brings us to our childhood nostalgia reads. So uh, do we want to start off just going around and saying like what book we picked and maybe like blog line about what it's about? I reread Forever by Judy Bloom because of a previous conversation that we had that Elena was talking about. And this was a book that I did read when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I was really surprised by it, rereading it now, I had really very little recollection of what its message was. Mm -hmm. So that's, that was interesting because I had not revisited it. Uh, maybe it's sexist, but I had not encouraged my three sons as they became teenagers to read this book. Probably could have, should have, maybe, mm -hmm. I don't know. So that was my book. It was Forever by Judy Bloom. What did you reread, Elena? Um, I actually brought it in person. I read The Fault in Our Stars by John Green, which is like the it book when I was in middle school and mm. like a freshman in high school, like perfect 2012-13 Tumblr era, peak <laughs> Vine, like peak Instagram, everything. This book was my everything. And upon reread, my general thoughts are it was okay. Yeah. John Crean is still one of my favorites, and I think he's such an intelligent person, and I love hearing him and his brother Hank Green speak. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think it still holds up, despite what some people say. But, mm. yeah, that was my reread. Nice. Mm -hmm. So I reread uh, The White Mountains, and that's by John Christopher, which is the first in a trilogy and then a prequel of books about the tripods. So the, the premise of that is it's this agrarian society, no technology, but there's these mysterious beings called the tripods that gather up kids at the age of 14 and they put these caps on them that seem to make all the humans docile and cool with tripods basically ruling the earth. And so what you think is like feels very historical novel turns into, no, this is actually a post apocalypse dystopia okay. novel with, you know, the remnants of humans living for some reason at the, uh, at the will of the tripods. And I was struck by rereading this book, how like, like keystone, a book as a reader and a person that it was for me reading things, just being like, this is just how I think about the world. I could see where that kind of came from this book where it's like, Oh, this was a really important end. You know, I can see why. So I might continue reading the trilogy as a result. It was very good. I liked it. And I also read the first book in a trilogy. And after finishing it, I was like, oh, I want to reread the second nice. one again. So it was Uglies, which is the first of the Uglies trilogy by Scott Westerfield. And I read that because that was the book that got 
made me a reader and really got me into reading. Um, I don't know if I, I think I've talked about it on the show before because mm-hmm. I've talked about being a slow reader, which I still am. Um, I, I struggled a lot with spelling growing up, but that kind of like interchanges with reading and like identifying mm. new words that you've never seen before and things like that. So um, it really was like tough for me in the beginning. And also on top of that, a lot of the books that like were, you know, grade appropriate for me to read or grade level that I was at at the time for me to read. Like I didn't find terribly interesting or compelling, like a lot of the kind of like realistic kid chapter books that you think of now that end up on like the accelerated reader list. It had like just started when I was in middle school. So that was the way that they like made sure that you were showing your work that you were reading books. But I was like looking at the list and it's like all of these books that like, yeah, were like realistic fiction. And I just like didn't really find that compelling because I grew up watching Star Trek and Star Wars and, Mm. and all kinds of stuff like that. So then, I don't know, maybe he listens to the show. He's one of my patrons now. But my my middle school English teacher uh, told me, read this book. And he handed me this book that was like 200 plus pages, like mm. almost 300 pages. And I was like, I can't read that whole book before the assignments do. Like, I, I know I read too slowly and I can't finish that book before the assignments do. So he goes, read half. Mm. So I go read half, do the assignment on the first half of the book. The next assignment was due. I had read the second half of Uglies and read all of because I was I just loved it so much because I was just like didn't know books could be like this I didn't know books could make us think about humanity but still be cool and sci-fi and about the future and and think about what the future could be like good or bad um which I got into the story and didn't really talk about the plot but uh very similar to Dave's Dave and I uh the other day we were talking about just like well, what did you end up reading and we were like wow this actually was pretty like similar because uh this is also a dystopian novel where um at the age of 16 you get an operation that makes you pretty um but over the course of the book you learn that there is more than meets the eye with the operation um Ooh. But it's meant to be, it's, well, I mean, most dystopians think they're a utopia. That's kind right. of the whole point that they did the thing. But okay. so it's supposed to be this whole thing of like, we, we make everyone a median skin color. So now we, we fixed racism, mm-hmm. you know, we make, and so everyone's attractive. Everyone's sit like homogenous and that's how we fix the, um, the social problems that destroyed the society before us, um, but you find out that that's not all, that's not the whole reason. It wasn't just making everyone pretty and making everyone look kind of the same. Mm-hmm. Didn't just fix humanity and how we are as people. Mm-hmm. Um, spoilers for how humans work. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's not all surface level stuff. And so, um, so yeah, it was really interesting mm-hmm. when I read it at the time. Because like I said, I had not read anything before. And it was something that was which I guess I'll get into a little bit of one of the things that struck me about rereading it is that the language was fairly plain. Like it wasn't like reading it as an adult. I was like, it's kind of the books that we need now. Like it's YA, but it's not like the YA publishing industry has become like people come to them with an idea for an adult novel and they go, that would sell better as a YA novel. Make Mm. your, make your character 18 and about to go to college. And then, Right. We'll call it a day. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of problem about like things. Hit. I think we're filling the gap with middle grade a little bit, I would say. Um, but there's a real problem of like 
for those readers who aren't fast readers, who aren't as like voracious readers like these other kids who are, you know, devouring books, there's not a lot for them. And so I think this book was at the time really, really squarely like YA and really for like a later middle school, early high school audience. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why it was like, ooh, this can be like challenging in an intellectual way without being something that I'm not able to handle with the challenges I was working through at the time. Mm -hmm. So that was something that I think is really what drew me to it and got me really excited about it. It's like, yeah, we can start having conversations about like, are humans inherently good or bad? (laughs) How do we fix big problems like racism and, and, and like systemic problems and, um, but also it not being filled with like a bunch of $50 words when you could have used 10 cent words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's pretty masterful at at writing for his, his age group. From what I can recall, having worked as a teen librarian, not having read it when I was a teen, but, um, I know it was very popular back in the day. Do you still see teens? Cause I know both of you work with younger readers. Do you still see teens asking for? I don't personally. I don't either. They're making a show and I'm kind of oh. hoping that teens kind of circle back to it. Otherwise I think this show's going to be garbage. It's but way too late for it. for a movie show since I finished reading the book. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like he sold the rights like various times over. Uh. And, a, and a somewhat more recent time I, I thought it was a movie, but saw something that like he basically was like, it is happening this time, mm-hmm. guys. Yeah. And I still haven't heard anything about it since. Mm-hmm. Okay. I forgot to say what the plot of Forever. This book is actually, I was just doing the math in my head. It's 48 years ago that it mm-hmm. came out. It was, came out in 1975. So when I read it, it was fairly new. And it is a story about a high school senior who wants to have sex with her boyfriend. And it was very interesting because it was a very loving family. She's got a mom and a dad and a sister and her mom is talking to her about this and her dad and her grandmother. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, that was definitely my, my life when I was <laughs> that age. Um, but I know one of the issues was that they don't talk about using any kind of protection to protect against sexually transmitted infection. But I don't think it was as much no. of a thing back then. It's, no, there's dozens of issues. Sorry, I should have reread it with you. 75. So I mean yeah. before the AIDS epidemic. Yep, definitely. And uh, it was very... Um, you can say gross. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't strike so me that way. I was just real. I mean, it's so dramatic. It's pretty much as I, when I was a teen librarian, I remember especially girls coming up to me and saying, I want a book with a lot of drama, miss. And this book definitely has a lot of drama and angst. And, you know, they are both going away to college. And at one point she wants to apply to the same college as this guy that she's only known for a few months. Don't do that. So that they can be near each other. And it's just like typical things that teenagers do, girls and guys who make poor decisions so it's such a gross book it's so gross you're being so nice I despise it and I read it like four times but it's different for me because that was one of the first teen novels that had teen protagonists in it you know it was before all these wonderful Mm -hmm. YA books well for me it kind of was also because 
When I turned 12, I remember distinctly reading it when I was 12. Yeah, I think I was 12, exactly. And my mom gave it to me. It was one of the last books I got from Borders in Garden City before they shut down. Aww. A tragedy. Aww. An absolute tragedy. <laughs> now it's a gym. Don't talk about it. <laughs> Don't talk about it. You're going to um, upset her. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. But I also have fond memories of the Borders. So good. Um, and... My mom was like, oh, this is one of the first books I read when I finally learned how to read in English. This is just for kids just like you. What a nasty trick. <laughs> right? Like, that was wow. honestly, I think, like, that. And because in sixth grade, I had something to prove. So I was reading Lord of the Flies. I was reading Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer. I was like, no, these reading tests at school cannot prove anything. You don't know me. You don't know my life. Right? <laughs> so then I was reading those books. And honestly, Forever was, like, the first like proper YA novel okay. I've ever read. Okay. And so I only got up to, and I'll say this to you, Robin, the part when they go to the ski resort. Yes. And I was like, um, I just like haven't had a puberty talk yet. So I just don't <laughs> think I should move past wow. this. Wow, you self-censored? I was going to yeah. say that that's a great example yeah. about how children will self-censor. Oh, yes. I have a great mm -hmm. story about how I self-censored in high school once, but you could keep going with your friends. That's friend. interesting. I, I I'm very impressed with that. Well, for my thing, is I thought my mom remembered what she was reading. She didn't <laughs> love her, but she didn't remember at all. She thought like this really was about 12, 13-year-olds from what she remembered. Oh, maybe she was confusing it with another Judy Bloom book. That's, that's what true, I think. Are you loves there, God, it's be Margaret. She's like, 13, yeah, she's 13, correct. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But this, these two are definitely no. yeah. 17, 18, 18. Yeah. I feel like that might have been more so. appropriate book for yeah. where you were at. And she, I think. and I read it afterward because I was like, okay, Judy Bloom's got something going. I like her writing. It just this story is disgusting. It's yeah. like a mess. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, but, but yeah. you picked a John Green book that was also widely popular when I was a teen librarian. And I liked the story, too. Uh -huh. I could imagine my teen self reading that and thinking, you know, it was so romantic and sad at the oh, same yeah. time. I also realized that I didn't tell the plot of mine. I thought we were going to go around and say the titles and then, like, go in. My bad, guys. <laughs> oh, that's... Um, I was like, no. We kind of got... We're yeah. it here. Yeah. yeah. It's all good. Um, the Fall Our Stars is about two teens and they both have cancer. Um, it's Hazel Grace and an Augustus. Augustus um, is going to the support group to support his friend. And it's about their relationship and how it evolves very quickly. Um, and it's it's very wholesome, like from the get go. I was like, this is not children talking. This is John Green talking. He's trying to reach a white audience and he clearly did it well because he sold it in all of his books. But yeah, it's a really tragic story where like, you know, they sort of like uh, they both fall in love with this book that Hazel Grace is just embodies her entire existence around mm -hmm. and Augustus reads it and they get the opportunity to sort of visit the author and talk to them. Okay. And so they get to talk to him. They travel to I forget where they Denmark, travel. Denmark, Is believe. it Denmark? Look at you go. And basically, it sort of like falls from there and some things are revealed. And, mm. you know, it's about two kids with cancer. You can sort of guess where yeah. that kind of goes. And I think it was brilliant. Like it was, I think it was so good. I don't know what a teen would say nowadays. Yeah, I think there's so many good quotes. Like some infinities are bigger than other infinities. I still think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And I even wrote it down on my fridge and I was like that. It's something I still keep in my back pocket. I remember, and I still have it, a button that I had gotten from Hot Topic that has that, and I put it on my backpack. And I'm like, mm -hmm. ugh, I got to put that on my lanyard now. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, you got to find that. Yeah, and honestly, for me, I felt like even though Hazel Grace definitely has, like, pick-me-girl traits, it was still a very feminist novel for me. Mm. It's one of, like, the first YA novels where I actually, like, 
loved her and she was a strong individual and she had her own like set boundaries and priorities. And that was the reason why I loved Uglies because I read Uglies around the same time as The Fall in Our Stars. I also like how you mentioned it's a trilogy, even though it's a quartet. But Extras oh. is such a bad book that I'm okay. It's oh. fine. We don't have to talk about I it. Mind Extras, but also oh. it was a thing that is one of those things that he planned. A, uh, he planned a, and he had a trilogy, and then that, and then he was like, "Let's jump what, right. what like 200, 300, 500 years in the future." It's terrible. And jump into this world again and mm. now i haven't read any of the imposters just because i haven't had Me time neither. but that's also in this like uglies world that came out mm. somewhat oh. recently so that's why yeah. when you said about our kids still asking for it i haven't seen it but there had to have been enough demand yeah. for him to go back and revisit that yeah. world yeah. unless it's all millennials who still read YA, like even though they're getting marketed as YA, like maybe yeah. it is me and everyone else yeah who enjoyed <laughs> it I have a question for the group because I was struck with this and I'm curious if anyone else had these, um, this thought rereading this book from your childhood. Is there any way that it felt like, like a pivot point of your reader life from being one kind of reader to a different kind of reader? Cause for me, like reading this book, the white mountains, it feels like it's what took me from being like a, you know, sideways stories from wayside school <laughs> and uh, encyclopedia Brown. Like that was totally my jam. Like that really felt like the point in middle school where I turned into a Isaac Asimov problematic fave mm. reader or like uh, <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut, like that. Another I went, problematic I went, fave. <laughs> oh, is he? I don't know. I mean, he's a misogynist. Oh, he didn't know was... any better than to be essentialist about gender. Women were for making babies. That's what they're for. Oh. <laughs> energy. Energy. That well, was in sarcasm font. Oh, thank out. you. Yeah. No. <laughs> for Taylor, she definitely I had uh, a a pivot when she read Uglies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for me, I know that I read this book when I was a teenager and I think because I've read so many books since then and now that I've been on, in working in public libraries for 23 years, I I couldn't tell you. Hmm. You know, yeah. it's it's just one of those things where it's just part of there's very few super duper memorable books for me at this point. I, I sort of am like, I like what I'm reading now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I read for a book group that I've been, uh, belong to friends for over 30 years. And I lead the book discussion at my library branch. But I, I just kept on reading anything yeah. I could get my hands on. I think I read every teen novel in my high school library. Wow. Well, well, yeah, I'm, again, I'm exaggerating, but no, I think but also you, there you weren't you as were many. from a time where, yeah, yeah YA there wasn't as really yeah. as an established like, right. market and genre. And, no. Well, not really, but market for... But it is interesting that some of the books that I remember reading in high school had lasted up until I started working as a librarian and were still around. I mean, Annie on my mind. I read that back in the day. Oh, yeah. A lot of that was a like lot of books that are the still lesbian novel. Yep. So for me it was more so of a return cuz like how mm. I said before in 6th grade I was looking to be empowered as a reader and honestly reading those western classics. I did understand them, and I've reread so many of those books now. And it was sort of that literary factor of, like, I really like being an active reader and breaking down what's happening in the plot, and there not even being that much and lots of language being used. And sort of after that and going into middle school, I definitely got into, like, Diversion and Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. And I still enjoy books like that that have that fantasy element. I love a good hero's arc. Like, Battle Angel Alita is my favorite femme hero. Mm -hmm. She's gorgeous, iconic, never been done before. Um... <laughs> 
But The Fault in Our Stars was that, like, it was that return to what I was as a reader in sixth grade that made me feel so strong and confident mm. because it was very literary. And I still think to this day it is very literary. Again, John Green, I think, is a brilliant individual. Mm. Um, so, yeah, for me, it, it was just a return because then I went on to, like, binge his books. And even now as an adult, like, you know, I've read the Anthropology Review and, like, a lot of my shelves are literary fiction, contemporary fiction. Aside from everything else, I read everything, but like most yeah. of what I read is that. I want those more sort of thinky books. Not much has to happen in the plot. Something I can sort of internalize and see if I actually get it or not. Um, so we've talked about mostly positives. I know Elena didn't have a lot of positive things to say about forever <laughs> Robin's pick. But for our own picks, was there anything that you were either surprised by because you didn't remember or... Was there any aspect of it that didn't bother you before that bothered you now? Um, basically, I guess I'm asking, did it hit different? <laughs> Love that. <laughs> um, I guess for me, so so this ends up, and then he doesn't really come out and say it in this book. In future books, he does. Um, he doesn't come out and say that it's taking place in rural England, everything's rural, and then like the French countryside going down into the Alps. So that's kind of the White Mountains or the Alps. Mm -hmm. um, oh. And there's not a lot of characters. So our main character, Will, um, and his cousin he doesn't like but ends up befriending Henry um, are the ones who are traveling from England to France to escape being capped. So that's their whole journey is to get away to where they've heard that there's a free society of men um, in the White Mountains. And they go and they have adventures on the way. They pick up a, another guy whose name is, um, what was his name? It was French, but they called him Beanpole because it kind of sounded like Beanpole to them. So he ended up being known as Beanpole. <laughs> um, and there's a little bit of, like, it's not good gender-wise. And this was also written in the 70s. Mm, so not to make not a... to make excuses, but it's kind of like Will is the main character. It's told from Will's point of view. Um, they meet this family in like France where Will gets sick and they kind of nurse him back to health. And he has this relationship with the daughter of this family who ends up being taken to the city of the tripods, like, you know, not to give away too much of a 50 year old book. And he, he's really like, well, she's an idiot for going to do that. <laughs> and, you know, it's just kind of like, I was going to stay here, but now, you know, and kind of give up the quest and maybe being capped not so bad. But now that she's making this terrible decision, like, I'm definitely going to run away. Um, so I don't remember noticing that and noticing yeah. how kind of like, I think it just was a thud on the page. It's just kind of like, well, well, you know. So I think there's very, there's very much that aspect. And I mean, Will ends up being like, you know, great at everything. Oh, I learned French in like three weeks. I learned the language of these people. Hmm. Um, which is kind of like, okay, I mean, maybe, I don't know, but... Mm. But yeah, and then you know. going back to like the hero's journey thing, right. that is kind of the thing. Even Tally is the main character in Uglies, and which is, um, I don't want to give too much away about the plot because it is like, mm. it's great if you go in with very little, mm. but there is like kind of a, there's a part in the middle of the first book that gets very survivalist almost, because mm -hmm. she does end up having to like go out into the wilderness. So like, that's an interesting aspect too, that I realized reading it this time around that like, I think this would actually like hit, um, if a, if a reader that likes survivalist novels was okay with like the futuristic stuff, mm -hmm. I feel like this would like be a nice transition for kids who liked Hatchet and, and yeah. Gary Paulson and things like that because that, that like a good portion of the book is her just like trying to survive out there like on her own she's a baddie yeah but it's also yeah. one of those things that it was like you lived in the city your whole life 
and they sent you out with a hoverboard and enough food for two weeks. Right. So I think that's part and parcel for that kind of book. Yeah. That it's like, this is our hero. So right. our hero needs our hero to needs be to who things. we need them to be. What I think would be interesting, Dave, is in a few years, if you were able to get one of your children to read oh, yeah. the book and then compare right. how you're like without saying much get right. the child's reaction well, our oldest is 12 i'm actually going to keep it at home and uh yeah give it to them when, we, when they come home from camp and be like hey this was a big book for me i just reread it and still thought it was pretty good you might like it too so yeah because yeah i mean that's that's totally the kid's wheelhouse is like you know uh, sci-fi fantasy adventure like kind of stuff so. I just think it would be very interesting to hear what a child of 2023, right. <laughs> who's only been alive for 12 years, would how they would respond to this book. Right. Just like it would be interesting if I got to interact with, with a child nowadays, a mm -hmm. young teen reader who read forever to see what they had to say, who maybe aren't as opinionated as Elena. <laughs> That's not a complaint. No, it's just an observation. <laughs> yes. yeah, no. I mean, I, yeah. I'm always impressed by people being able to pull things out that I didn't even see. Mm -hmm. I felt like the character, she definitely sounded like a teen girl. So I give Judy Bloom credit for the way she wrote. I think her children were teenagers at the time. She dedicated it to one of her children. And the whole reason why this book had come up during a podcast session was that there was a wonderful documentary about Judy Bloom that was on Amazon Prime. And I hadn't realized over the years how her books had been on banned books lists, mm -hmm. to be honest with yeah. you, because before I became a librarian, that was never really a thing. Yeah. Um, so people were very, and then of course she even wrote some adult fiction, which also had some more adult content and people were upset about that. And I read those books too. And, you know, once again, my mantra is always, if you, if that's not your thing, don't, right. please don't read it. There's yeah. so mm -hmm. many books out yeah. there for right. you. Well, and to call back to, you know, like young Elena, like realizing that this is not the book for you. Like, oh, I know. Kids will just do that. Mm. And, you know, just, mm. it's not even self-censoring. It's just like, I'm not ready for this. You know, hearing stories of like, my kid really wanted to read It by Stephen King. And so, <laughs> you know, I just gave it to him and he like came back five minutes later and said, nope, not this book, right? And I, I think that that sort of puts the lie to all of the hubbub about like book challenges that's yeah. going on mm -hmm. in the world right now. Because like, if you trust the kids, the kids are always going to know, like, I'm not ready for this. Or they're going to ask questions of the trusted adults in their lives. And I think that's where the challenge comes is now the trusted adult is the one who's actually uncomfortable with, in my mind, having a conversation about why we disapprove of a certain kind of person. Like mm -hmm. it, that's, you know, being put in that position. And I, I like come so close to understanding, but have no sympathy yeah. because like we need to teach our children to be comfortable with the world as it is, yeah. uh, regardless of what you believe and regardless of, you know, personal deeply held beliefs of whatever kind. Like if you're exposed to the world as it really is, you need to have an understanding or awareness. And again, if a book kid just decides I'm going to put this book away, it's not for me, that conversation doesn't happen. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, my professional slash personal hot take on that yeah. is like, you Being know, respectful agreed. of what other people right. like. It, it's something that I learned early on working mm -hmm. in the library was that I can recall people coming up and having a particular author and me thinking, uh, oh, wow, this is, this is a pretty weak read. Mm, they're not very intellectual. 
And I did think that for a little yeah. while. And then I realized, what do I care what other people are right. reading? I'm glad they're reading because the, the people who come into the library are keeping us in jobs. Yes. And yeah. whether it's an author that we think is maybe not that well-written, if it floats someone else's boat. And we're here yeah. to provide it. Right. Exactly. The resource for it. Lots of good stuff out there for everyone. Something well, for everyone. Something for everyone. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't like that line of like a library is everything, something to offend everyone too. Cause I think that's, mm. I, I'm, that's clunky to me, but yeah. I do think it's I, something for everyone. That's, yes. that's our purpose. And yeah. if it's not for you, it's not for you. And that's, you know, whatever your age, it's totally acceptable. Yeah. And I would never try and force anyone to read every, anything. I would never try to convince anyone that what they like is not what they should be reading. Not to get too existential <laughs> here on a yeah. podcast. Yeah, about books yes. that we read when we were young. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I think that those those kinds of thoughts, I guess to bring it back, are kind of these sort of middle school reads are what give you those big building blocks, those yeah. big like themes and ideas that you then build on for the rest of your life. That's kind of, you know, the idea of not going along with something just because everyone else does it and says it's fine, which it sounds like that's happening in the uglies. And that's definitely what's happening in White Mountains. Yeah. That it's like, everybody says it's great when you get capped. And this friend of mine just got capped and he's fine. Like, look at him. He's great. Mm -hmm. um, but also he's not fun anymore because yeah. he just is like, you know, it just doesn't feel like the same person. And that mm. little kernel of a thought in this character, Will's mind, it turns into, I actually, I'm going to look this up because I wrote it down. It was like uh, accessing a core memory. Um, so he was talking about the capping and everything and says, this, like everything else, was taken for granted, but no longer by us. Having started asking questions, each doubt set loose a score of others. And it's kind of like, I read that sentence mm. and I was like, this is me. Like, this is yeah. the core of who I am in a certain part of my way as a human. And it was really cool as an adult to look back and like, I didn't remember that sentence, obviously. Yeah. But when I read it, I just was like, I imprinted on it so hard. It was like, I remembered this in a way that I could never have possibly imagined I remembered it if it hadn't been written down. So power of books. Yeah. And I do remember the exact quote. And I'm mm. not saying this informed my life philosophy, but this yeah. is like, a quote that made me go like, oh, we're grappling with like real stuff here in this book about mm -hmm. a teenager saving the world. But in the third book in this series, at one point, a character who's kind of part of the government establishment keeping the status quo says that humanity is a cancer and we are the cure. So like there's mm. there's her on one side that that has that view. And then there's our protagonist that's basically like, no, mm -hmm. you're taking away people's humanity. Like there's. There's a good and the bad, which, yeah, which I think was makes me think of like, I think was foundational for my kind of love of like F yeah humanity stories, yeah. you know, like the Martian, like I watched the Martian movie based on the right. Andy mm -hmm. Weir book. Mm. Um, and the whole kind of plot of that is like, like F yeah humanity. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to science the problem. We're going to, yeah. but also like we're going to, humans are going to come together on the problem. We're going to mm -hmm. put aside our differences because. Because one of ours is in space and right. we want him back on Earth yep. kind of thing. So I think that was probably the core of me really being like, even when things get bad, like there is always something inherently like beautiful and worthy in humans. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I feel like that for, for on our stars, too. Right. Like their whole thing is like making fun of 
I guess, quote unquote, cancer culture, not cancel culture. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like the stereotypes and the way people treat you when they find out that you have a terminal illness or yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for them, it's, it's literally like day by day. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow in a week, nonetheless, a month. Don't, don't even think about a year because anything could happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's that day by day, and it's just like this beautiful, young, youthful, budding love. I think in my head, that's why I had also imagined the ending of the book. Like, when I finished the book, I was like, oh, that's not what I remember. I read it exactly mm. a decade ago, and I had made up, like, an entire 12-plus year timeline in my head of, like, what I wanted to happen. I kid you not. Hmm. And, and that's not at all what happened in the book. And I think wow. that's what made it all the more better was like it was literally it was very much so a book of like here are these very small moments between these two super sick kids. Hmm. And right. sometimes things are just, you know, cut short. Yeah. But I remember from the movie that ending was kind of ambiguous for our protagonist. Oh my god. Like gosh. obviously there is the big sad thing that happens. Uh-huh. But our our protagonist is left at the end and it's like Mm-hmm. What happens to her, we don't know. Right? Lots of big emotions. Yeah. yeah. That whole okay. infinity, again, the infin- some affinities are bigger than other affinities. Like yeah. that pain, that feeling you feel right then and there feels like it's going to last forever. But like there are so many other things that are going to come along that also feel like forever. Yeah. And I remember reading this and just sobbing. It was the first time I'd ever sobbed for a book. And I was like, I have to shower and I have to cry. And there my <laughs> life is ruined. And like for me, that felt like infinity. I was like, I'm never going to be healed. I'm never going to find yeah. love. Like there are so many things. And now I look back at it and I was like, that was just one small infinity yeah. to where I am now. Lots of big feelings in a book. For a bunch of pulped wood pressed between two thicker pieces of like Y'all. paper. Yeah, it's pretty wild what they can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Books are the best. Wow. Right. On that note. Yeah, we had a really good discussion. Just want to wrap yeah. it up. I was going to say, yeah. I didn't even think Need about a last, last chapter question. Sorry, y'all. I got one if you want. Oh, go we, for it. Because we've had a really deep discussion. So mm-hmm. the, an impromptu last chapter question. Um, what is the hardest you laughed while reading a book? Oh. If there's something you can think of, like just drop dead funny. I can just think of laughing really hard listening to David Sedaris' books of oh, essays. Yes. I mean, I read books where there are funny moments. Like, mm-hmm. wh- like why, even if it's not a funny book, like, there's always kind of a thing of, like, quips and whatever. But, yeah, I, now that I'm thinking about, like, overarchingly, I feel like I don't, like, read funny books. Like, I don't read books that set out to be funny. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why, because of, you know, mm. I enjoy humor as much as the next person. I love comedy specials. Like, I I enjoy laughing, but I'm now thinking about my book reading, and I can't think of any books that are like, oh, that was, like, setting out to be hilarious, and it was. Like, mm-hmm. the way that, like, David Sedaris, like, you know, right. sets out to write these funny memoir and memoir-adjacent kind of yeah. stuff. Um, for me, I was going to say... There's a book called Pestilence by Laura Thalassa. It's part of a quartet, which is like a romance series about the four horsemen, like finding love and saving humanity, blah, blah, blah. I love it and I ate it up. Leave me alone. Yeah. So. Reminds me of Good Omens. Yeah. Oh, I always wanted to read that and watch it. I, I watched the show. I didn't read it again. Oh, okay. I'm being a bad library. I've just come so to the show the and I'm a bad library. So what's the funny moment in that book? Well, <laughs> yeah, the first one I think is War. No, Pestilence. It's called Pestilence. Um. And she said, I can't say the line specifically, it's not very appropriate, but like she compares fruitcake to like her aunt's and it was hilarious. I was like, this is so out of tune. This is, I was like, exactly how you're all like, what? That is exactly how it was reading the book. And I was like, this has no place here and that is hysterical. 
Um, but also, like, people have very polarizing opinions about fruitcake. Yeah. <laughs> you got, uh, if you get a good one, that's actually made well. But the rarity of a good one, I feel like. Yes, it's pretty rare. Yeah. Well, and if you don't want to put that one in, I can say a different one. No. Um, <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, well, I was going to say Grady Hendrix. I can't think of a specific line, but oh. all of his novels, I yeah. think, are absolutely brilliant. His, like, you know, sort of, like, goofy, funny, but also kind of serious, like, horror-ish novels mm. are absolutely hilarious. And I've done more, like, gasping and being like, what? Than laughing, but I think they're so funny. He's my favorite, yeah. like, male author ever. I think he's brilliant. I, I had something else I might have said, but I'm going to say this. <laughs> um, today, somebody came up with... Um, how to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix in their hand. And they said, this key just fell out of this book. Whoa. And like set it down on the counter. Like, I don't know if this is missing from somebody, but I thought someone should know. Uh-huh. And so I'm just standing there. I was just like, of all the books for a random house key to fall out of, uh-huh. for wow. it to be How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady <laughs> Hendrix. I'm I know. Like, That's a sick like, joke. I'm just like, I need to go to lunch. I'm going to put this in the lost and found. I have a feeling I'm going to find this key at my house tonight. Yeah. <laughs> that's how it would happen <laughs> that, in his books. Extended out just, in the yes, hand of a small Victorian that, that, child. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm. well, this is the rest of my life now. It just happened. Flashed before my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just this key coming into it. I love that. But yeah, so thank you all for joining me. This is a very fun conversation, even if it wasn't super linear. So I'm sorry um, for our audience that we went here, there, and everywhere. (laughs) Um, But if you want to respond to Dave's last chapter question, you can email us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. And you can also reach out to us with the hashtag downtimecpl on social media. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Elena Rios, Nomi Haig, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent those of the Cranston Public Library. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes only. The Cranston Public Library name, in all forms and abbreviation, are the property of its owners and its use does not imply endorsement or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. The content of this episode is the property of the Cranston Public Library and may not be reproduced without express written permission. Join us next week for more Downtime. Can you believe I just forgot this dude's name again? <laughs> oh my god! All right, cool. I'm forty something. So, um, so I reread. <laughs> shut you down. That's, so true. That's I. I accept being shut down. I accept the the shuttering of my energy. <laughs> All right, what book did you read? <laughs> <laughs>